Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. All right, a couple things I want to mention as we get started here for this hour. Chris Elston's going to join us. He is someone who's taking a national stand against some of the gender ideology nonsense. We had this new whistleblower expose of what happened at Children's Hospital and Wash U at the Transgender Center, which is just mind-blowingly um, troubling <laughs> and perhaps illegal, some of the things that they did. We'll find out about that. So Chris is going to join us at 425. Um, we have Sue's News with... The triumphant return of Fred Bottom. I almost called you Bottenheimer here this <laughs> afternoon. I can't even say your name anymore. Fred, how are you? Welcome back. We'll catch up in a I'm second. I'm good, thanks. Uh, Michael Langston is pinch hitting for Abby today because she was under the weather. But we have to start with Frank Cusimano because there was a blues trade today. Frank, how are you? Tarasenko is now a Ranger? He is. Yes. I just uh, left uh, Centene as we speak, Mark, and uh, talked to about four or five players who uh, went to the uh, rink today for practice, and they saw Vladdy, then all of a sudden it happened, and they had to say goodbye to the teammates, and many of them won a Stanley Cup with Vladimir Tarasenko. So it's kind of an emotional day for the team. It, it was shocking in one sense in that it happened so early. Trade deadline is March 3rd, and it happened you know almost a month before. But Doug Armstrong just said that he's concerned that he's already had two of his unrestricted free agents get hurt, Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly, you don't want to risk another injury and hurt their trade value. So they ship into New York, and the big thing is they get a first-round draft choice. Um, they get Sammy Blay back, they get a prospect back, and they also sent Nico Mikola, who's an unrestricted free agent. Bottom line is, at the end of this season, they were not going to sign Vladimir Tarasenko. They were going to get nothing for him, and now they get a first-round pick. So it sounds like you think it's a pretty good deal. I think it's you know I think it's a good situation. Look, you're yeah. losing a great player, and you're getting really nothing back that's going to help you in this playoff run. But as we know now, Mark, this is a retool. I'm not saying a rebuild, but it's a retool. They have to think, you know, long-term, and getting a first-round draft choice back is quite an asset. And if, if they didn't do anything, he walks. And you get nothing. So how, how, because I've lost, you know, I'm not the biggest hockey person, but how good is Sammy Blay right now? How has he performed for New York? Not, he, not well. I don't know if he's, I don't <laughs> think he's scored a goal since he's left town. Uh-oh. He's got four <laughs> okay. assists and no goals. Uh, but he's a fourth line guy. He'll provide some energy and some toughness. But yeah, he's, he's not the, uh, the chip they were looking for in this deal. It's the it. first round draft choice. And this is just round one because we think obviously that O'Reilly and Barbashev are going to go eventually before this deadline too, right? I think so. Unless they were to go on a, like a tear 
up until the deadline and win all these games to get back in contention. But HockeyReference.com gives them a 1.7% chance of making the postseason as we speak. They're in 11th place. They're nine points out of the final playoff spot. And with the way they played, nothing would indicate that this is a playoff team. Hey, Frank, uh, it's Michael. So another part of this deal that we're seeing is a conditional draft pick. I believe if the Rangers make the playoffs, we got a fourth-round pick. If the Rangers make the playoffs, isn't it true that that draft choice moves up to the third round? Yes, a four turns into a three, and the Rangers will make the playoffs. So it'll end up being a one and a three in this this deal. Yes, sir. That's not bad. All right, Cusimano, I appreciate the update this afternoon. We'll talk tomorrow at 445. Sounds great. Thank right. you, sir. I appreciate it. Fred, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. Did you survive the um, – he was on a ski trip, Michael. I don't know if you were keeping track, which is not exactly <laughs> a Fred type of thing to do. I have do. not been keeping tabs yeah. on Fred lately. <laughs> I am so sorry for that. Yeah, yesterday at this time I, – well, I guess I was sitting in an airport, but earlier in the morning I was you know, in Breckenridge on the slopes watching. Now, now did you ski? I did not snow okay, ski. Right. I did a lot of snowshoeing. Yeah, that's fun, though. Which is the safest thing for me to do. But Breckenridge is pretty awesome, Breck, isn't it? Breckenridge is amazing. Yeah. Breck, I think yeah, is what everybody call calls it. Breck, it. Right, exactly. Yeah, to be cool, you call it Breck. <laughs> um, but, you know, I saw a lot of Blues jerseys, though, on the slopes. A lot of people. Really? That were, well, a lot, maybe four or five, uh, were wearing, like, O'Reilly jerseys and different favorite pe- old Blues jerseys. Mm-hmm. Well, so that was kind of cool. They'll be on eBay here in about three weeks, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, well, good. But you had a good time. You were with the boys. Yeah, it was great. Uh, my sons were really good skiers, and Marie, I, Marie and I were really good snowshoers. Now, did you go up to the, Because even when I went and failed miserably when I was there um, many years ago, I, I liked hanging out, like, when people come in for oh, lunch. Yeah. I, like, I was into that. It was just the actual skiing part, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we would take the the gondola up every day to peak eight which is pretty far you yeah, know, up yeah. there and, and watch all the people come in and we'd bring lunches for the boys awesome so it was fun so yeah we saw a lot of people a lot so, of australians there too here's what here's what i was not going to tell you i did not tell you last week because <laughs> my no no it's not a big deal but um my friend john you know john lynch you met john yeah before. so he is in utah he spends a lot of time in park city right so he he was there a week ago this was the day before you left and he had one of these deals where the helicopter flew him in it was like i don't know what they call it but it's it's do you know, Michael, what they call that? It's it's not on the regular slope, so they kind of fly you in to where Is it's it fresh a, snow. And it's not an airlift over there. It's or, sort of like, but anyway, here's yeah. what he, it doesn't matter. He's like, he says, he sends some pictures. I said, hey, how's the skiing? He goes, epic day until one of the dudes broke his hip. They had to call the helicopter <laughs> to airlift him out. So I sent that to Sue oh. last Wednesday, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to mention this one to Fred. You know, you wouldn't have had to mention it because there were lots of people being brought down the slopes on those stretchers. Um, You know, I'd see maybe four or five a day. When Um, I was there, I saw quite a few, too. Man, to be a doctor in Breck would be pretty lucrative, wouldn't it? Yeah, I was wondering. I I guess they've got a first aid station or or emergent care at every you know, yeah. do they peak. put casts on right there at the bottom of the slopes? You know, I had a nephew that got that got hurt last time, and they didn't ca- they don't cast you at the slopes. They wrap you up and then tell you to go and see your um, you know, your doctor yeah, when right. you get home. Exactly. All right, let's do this. Fred's going to pinch hit here today. These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. <laughs> and now Sue's news, brought to you by Sue. So, or not? Not today. Or, or not. Uh, if there's one thing that says spring is coming to St. Louis, it's got to be the opening of Ted Drew's. 
and today was the first day. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, there was a crowd at the uh, Ted Drew's uh, on Watson. Um, the owner, Travis Dillon, says he put in a new freezer for 2023, and they're working on a new flavor, and he hopes to open the Dutchtown location on Grand and Merrimack as soon as possible. So that's pretty cool. I, I look forward to that. I think my favorite is a um, cookies and cream concrete. That's what I do. Well, I'm looking for the date for um, Fritz's Frozen Custard, a fine sponsor of this show, and it's usually in March, so I'm not exactly sure what it is. You know what I looked up yesterday just because I was curious and I didn't know this kind of ties in with spring? I'll do this as a quiz. Do you know when we um, head into daylight saving time? No. It's um, that first weekend of March. It's like... Really? Yeah. Can't come soon enough. Wow. All right. Now, now i got to check that. It's the second weekend. It's the 12th. So, but still, it's yeah. coming up soon. It's about a month away. That's great. Hey, did you hear this? There's a, a nine-year-old genius in Pennsylvania. He, uh, it's in, I, guess, I think he's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. His name is David Belogan, or Belugan. I guess I can't pronounce it, so I've been ruled out as the genius. Um, but listen to him. He's, he's nine years old, and he just graduated from high school. Yeah, I, I saw this on a monitor yesterday, but I did not hear what he sounded like. This is him? Yeah. Here it is. Well, I'm going to, we're looking into Ivy League colleges right now. Duh. Aren't we all? And I'm looking into careers in astrophysics, engineering, software development, rocket engineering, chemistry, nuclear chemistry, website development, and... Robotic engineering. Wow. In the meanwhile, the meanwhile. I <laughs> am my downtime. The dynamic software developer and the social media called Prime Hangout. I also started my own business yeah. called Website Insight. Wow. URL websiteinsight.com. Now he's just showing off. Come on, man. So when I was nine, I think I was collecting Hot Wheels. <laughs> And um, getting into baseball cards. When I was nine, I was trying to find ways to get the thermometer to lie to say I had a fever so I could skip school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for him, though. Oh, that's great. And um, he says he doesn't even realize that he was nine and graduating from high school. It just seemed normal to him. So I'm surprised I graduated high school at 18, quite honestly. <laughs> he sounded kind of almost British. Yeah, Did you know? I couldn't he, tell. He sounded like he's tell. ethnic, right? I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, um, did you see that the uh, Madden simulation is out with its prediction for the Super Bowl Ooh. coming up this Sunday? Uh, no. Uh, according to this year's Madden simulation, the Eagles will win the Super Bowl 31-17 to 17 over the Chiefs. And Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts will be named MVP. <laughs> <laughs> With 282 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and 88 yards rushing. Here's what I love about all this, Michael. You probably noticed this too. For the most part, now it's not like no one's picking the Chiefs, but the majority. I looked at some of the handicapping today on ESPN. It's like 70 percent of the so-called experts out there are picking the Eagles, which I think is great for the Chiefs, by the way, because I think they were motivated by that idiot Cincinnati mayor a couple of weeks ago. And Andy Reid off the bye. Can they lose? Of course. Philadelphia's a great team. Jalen was my fantasy quarterback. I have a lot of respect for the Eagles, but you got Andy Reid off essentially a bye of two weeks. I like the Chiefs. Yeah, I I see what everyone is saying about it and it's kind of been proving itself right with what they're saying in that Philadelphia at the beginning was kind of seen as oh their records kind of inflated kind of like Minnesota 
But then you get into the trenches, and they have played really good football. So I think it'll be closer oh, than that. Oh, it's going to be a close game. Yeah, I, I for think sure. It it's just whose O-line is going to hold up in the fourth quarter. And unfortunately, I think the answer to that might be the Eagles, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Do you ever worry about this? This is like a nightmare come true for, for, for me. And there's this couple in Florida. They recently stacked their patio furniture and window screens out on their front lawn because they were power washing their house. And while they were in the back power washing, the garbage collector came and threw it all away. <gasps> the couple freaked out when they saw it was gone. And a neighbor's security camera showed that the furniture was taken by the garbage collector. Wait, so wouldn't th- you have it in a particular, like when most of us put out our Yeah, trash, you put it just, down at the curb yeah, or down right. the roll floor. Yeah. The couple reached out to the company, but they didn't have much luck getting hold of them until the local news got involved. And uh, the items weren't salvageable. They were destroyed, but the company is going. The company's going to reimburse them. I would hope so. Uh, the couple says it was perfectly good furniture, but it was mistaken for garbage. Go figure. So, random fact of the day: Ooh. stewardess is the longest word that is typed with only the left hand. That's if you type without hunting and pecking. Um, can I just say this, Fred, about the word stewardess? I'm real sorry. Quick? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Inappropriate. Good Lord, Fred. One day back, and you're already triggering people. Steward would also work, but it's not that long. Flight attendants, okay? My goodness. Welcome back, though, Fred. It's great to have you. And Michael, thanks for hanging in here this afternoon as well. Don't forget, we got a Reardon Roundtable tomorrow. Jane will be here, State Representative Donna Berenger, and Mike Elam from the St. Charles County Council, all tomorrow at 3, right here on St. Louis's home for Conservative Talk, 97.1 FM Talk. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Well, I just looked at the timestamp, and it was my next guest who alerted me to this major story that broke today from this whistleblower about the gender clinic at St. Louis Children's Hospital in Wash U. And um, his name on Twitter is Billboard Chris. Chris Elston is traveling North America trying to draw attention to this uh, gender ideology nonsense that's out there. And I think, Chris, you're in Oklahoma right now where it's been pretty hot. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing fantastic. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I just got in. I was in Oklahoma City the last couple of days, and I'm working with legislators who are going to be banning this practice of giving kids puberty blockers 
the opposite sex hormones and doing surgeries as well. So things are doing well in Oklahoma, but we've got a lot of work to do across the rest of the United States. Yeah, and before I move on to St. Louis and some of the other stuff that's going on, I remember a couple of days ago, wasn't there a major, I, I think you even saw some people calling it an insurrection, of people that had gathered at the State House in Oklahoma protesting this? Yeah, I think they bust in people to protest what's going on in Oklahoma because they know that these bills are in the works. And I heard that some people even had Portland, Oregon labels on their jackets. So maybe they bust people in from Portland to come and protest this. Yeah, well, they that, that would people in the Capitol me. making a lot of noise. So again, I and I don't think. Well, I do follow you on Twitter now. You, you somebody must have pressed like who I follow. It got into my feed this morning. And I clicked on it, and when I started reading this story, and by the way, Chris, just so you know, I spent a good portion of the first 25 minutes of my show this afternoon reading a fair portion of Jamie Reed. For people just joining us, there was a piece that was posted in the Free Press, which is thefp.com. Jamie Reed, the headline, I thought I was saving trans kids, now I'm blowing the whistle. And she says, I'll just start it here, I'm a 42-year-old St. Louis native, a queer woman, politically to the left of Bernie Sanders, and she lays out some disgusting things that happened here in St. Louis in this gender clinic, which I guess if we're looking for some positive news, Chris, is going to shine a light on this like maybe it's never been shined before, right? Absolutely. I think this is an incredible day. It's terrible what's going on, and it's shocking to a lot of people. But I've known this has been going on for a long time, and I've been trying to create awareness about this traveling around North America. But I'm a straight white Canadian guy. Not everyone's going to listen to me. But this woman says she's left of Bernie Sanders. She herself is married to a trans man, and she's worked in a very prominent gender clinic for the last four years. She left because she's so disgusted with what she saw, with the lack of safeguards in place, and nobody can deny what she's saying because she left with receipts as well. She's got emails, and she's got all sorts of proof. That's what's amazing. She puts some of the emails in here. Uh, She chronicles this, and she basically says that things kind of took a turn in 2020, and she had worked there until recently for for many, many years. And for those people, I would encourage people to go back to the start of the show if you want to hear the monologue on this on the Odyssey app. I've blasted this out on Twitter. The first one was, you know, retweeting Chris this morning. Um, But it's something that people need to see. Now we have our Senator Josh Hawley involved calling for investigation. She says in her piece, which is interesting, and we haven't heard from Andrew Bailey, who's our new AG, that she brought this to the attention of the Attorney General of Missouri, Chris. Yes, I love it. She's come ready to fight because she saw that all of these kids are struggling with some other mental health issues. Almost half of these kids have autism. A ton of them are depressed, have anxiety, have ADHD, have eating disorders, have terrible home life. A lot of them are in foster care. And the practice in these clinics is to simply put them straight on to these puberty blocking drugs or the opposite sex hormones. They even, at the gender clinic, they provide the template for therapists to sign off on. So yeah, she admits that, that there was there, there's a, a template that they created that the therapist, and she basically said the therapist involved with WashU just pretty much rubber-stamped everything. Yes, they have one, maybe two appointments. And they're even sending kids from the psychiatric unit, kids with severe mental health issues. One child was sexually abusing a dog. Yes, yeah. And they just treat gender as though it's the problem and start these kids on these drugs, which end up leaving them sterile, these boys. According to Marcy Bowers, who's the president of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, none of the boys 
who start on puberty blockers at what's called Tanner Stage 2. That's the beginning of puberty. None of them as adults have ever been able to have an orgasm. So they are creating lifelong pharmaceutical patients with no sexual function. I did not know that. Yeah, that's an interesting little point. I did not know that about the the boys and the puberty blockers and what that would uh, present. That's fascinating. Uh, well, there's so much There's so much here, and I've tried to expose it over the last couple of years. Uh, when I first started, I jumped over from our AM station, Chris, here in St. Louis about two years ago. And right at that time, there was somebody that I knew. I never identified him, but he was a, a friend and former colleague who was going through a nightmare with his 13-year-old daughter. And, you know, she thought she was trans. There was all this stuff. There were pronouns that were. And then as the story evolved, he was sending me updates. And as you know, and I think anyone paying attention these days, the story ended up pretty much resolving itself the same way a lot of these do. Unless you go to the gender clinic at Wash U. She realized that she was going through a phase. She was embarrassed by it. She knows that she's a girl right now. And she's on the path to recovery. But it was a nightmare for the family. And that's repeated I don't know how many times over here in this country recently, and this is part of the problem, what's exposed here in St. Louis today. Yeah, 300,000 kids in the U.S. between the ages of 12 and 17 were diagnosed with gender dysphoria last year. That's official diagnosis, probably for insurance purposes. The number is higher than that. Now, what everyone needs to understand is this ideology is just based on ridiculous, sexist, regressive stereotypes. If you look at these children's hospital videos from Boston, that I tweeted out. We have the doctors at the number one ranked children's hospital in the country saying that things like a little girl trying to pee standing up, a little boy who doesn't want to get a haircut, or children playing with opposite gender toys. Yeah. These are a sign that your child is transgender. Well, then my daughter is There's transgender. I will tell you right now, I'm going to have to come to, I'm going to have to confront that my daughter who's going to turn eight in three weeks is, is trans. And you just broke that to me, Chris. Thanks a lot. But it's outrageous. Yeah, Gender identity means nothing. It just means personality. And what I always say is there's no right way to be a boy or a girl. If a boy's more effeminate, if a girl's a little more masculine, whatever. Beautiful. They're all beautiful just as they are. But these kids today, we're telling our tomboys that they're actual boys and putting them on meds and cutting off body parts. They're cutting off the breasts of 12-year-old girls at Kaiser Permanente in California. The psychiatrist there, Kellen Lackhart, is on video admitting to it yeah it's it's horrifying and this story today is horrifying how did you get involved in this what was your motivation i'm a dad and i have two girls they're 11 and 13 now and my kids are not affected by this at all but i learned about this back in 2019 and i started researching it every day and the more you read the worse this gets and i am not going to look back at my life in 40 years and say i knew about this greatest child abuse scandal in modern medicine history, and I didn't do anything about it. And the more parents I talk to, the more it drives me. Because when you're sitting down for coffee with some dad who's losing his autistic girl to this, and he's afraid to say anything because the state might take his child away, and he's bawling his eyes out, this has just become my mission in life, and I'm not going to stop until this child abuse stops all across the world. You just said something, Chris, that, that really kind of struck me, and, and you're, you're not wrong. Maybe you can repeat exactly the words. This is the greatest child abuse in, in this country's history, right? This is the greatest child abuse scandal in modern medicine history. 
And it needs to be Absolutely. exposed. I, I, you know, we have not heard anything from WashU and Children's Hospital today. They're probably in meetings right now trying to figure out what the hell to do, right? But the other part of this problem is, is you're a guy out there doing this as a dad. I'm a talk show host here on, you know, 97.1 FM Talk. If the regular legacy media doesn't ask tough questions and demand answers from our medical school at Wash U and Children's Hospital, then that is journalistic malpractice. And as you know, most of the mainstream media has been refusing to touch this. The only reason our local paper did this today is because Senator Hawley got involved and is calling for an investigation, or I'm pretty convinced they would have ignored it. Absolutely. The letters LGBTQ send most people into paralysis. And we need to stop being worried about getting called names. We just need to speak the truth. Our children are perfect as they are. What are we doing giving them chemical castration drugs? This drug, these puberty blockers, are approved for prostate cancer, endometriosis in women. Same exact drug given to pedophiles in the past to chemically castrate them. But they don't do that anymore because it's considered inhumane. But they'll give these kids to, these drugs to kids for years. They cause bone density issues, all sorts of other problems. Kids are having liver toxicity. They're getting sleep apnea. They're getting diabetes. We don't even know the effects of these opposite sex hormones and puberty blocking drugs on their developing brain. But we do know, going back in history, all the studies into gender dysphoria, back when this just affected a handful of kids, 80 to 90% of them grew out of it. Back then, the majority grew up to be gay. So the gay community should be outraged by what's going on because a lot of these kids would just grow up to be gay, and instead they're getting sterilized. Well, you know what, and this is an undercovered story, because you say that part of the gay community is outraged right now. Do they speak up? They probably don't. But the older gay community is outraged by this. They really are. They just probably don't say it publicly. But I promise you, there's a big disconnect there. But good for you, Chris Elston, in being a hero in this. And, you know, somebody asked me, this was a couple of years ago when I posted something about this and, of course, was accused of being transphobic. Somebody said, why do you care so much about this? And my, my answer was because I have a little girl at the time who was six years old and she doesn't have a penis. That's why I care about it. And you've seen Riley Gaines come out and Bethany Hamilton now. So there, there are things where the tide is turning. You've seen some of these surgeons even that have come forward in the L.A. Times and the Washington Post saying, whoa, wait, wait, we are, we've made mistakes, right? So maybe the tide is turning in a very positive direction. If we have to look at one thing positive from St. Louis, Chris Elston, maybe we've done our part in bringing some of this to a stop. Absolutely. The tide is turning big time. I've had more than 10,000 conversations out on the street. I go to universities. I go to busy downtown centers. Nobody knew about this two years ago, and now everyone's outraged. The whole conservative movement is now going. So I'm very hopeful. I've never had one doubt in my mind that we're going to end this child abuse. It's simply a question of how many kids are harmed before we do. God bless you, Chris Elston. They can go to BillboardChris.com. BillboardChris.com and follow him on Twitter. Thank you for, you know, indirectly bringing this to my attention today as it took off and you've seen Abigail Schreier and Barry Weiss and others nationally pick up on this story here in St. Louis. Chris Elston, thank you very much, Billboard Chris. Thank you. Let me give you a little bit more details. I read a good portion of this piece from uh, Amy Reed this morning, but here she goes into another disturbing aspect of what happened at Wash U in a children's hospital. She says it's lack of regard for the rights of parents and the extent to which doctors saw themselves as more informed decision makers over the fate of these children. In Missouri, only one parent's consent is required for treatment of their child. But when there was a dispute between the parents, it seemed the center always took the side of the affirming parent. My concerns about this approach to dissenting parents grew in 2019 when one of our doctors actually testified in a custody hearing against a father who opposed a mother's wish to 
to start their 11-year-old daughter on puberty blockers. I had done the original intake call, and I found the mother quite disturbing. She and the father were getting divorced. The mother described the daughter as kind of a tomboy, so now the mother was convinced her child was trans. But when I asked her daughter had, um, but when I asked if her daughter had adopted a boy's name, if she was distressed about her body, if she was saying she felt like a boy, the mother said no. I explained the girl just didn't meet the criteria for an evaluation. Then a month later, the mother called back, said her daughter now used a boy's name, was in distress over her body, wanted to transition. This time, the mom and daughter were given an appointment. Our providers decided the girl was trans and prescribed a puberty blocker to prevent her normal development. The father adamantly disagreed and said this was all coming from the mother, and the custody battle ensued. After the hearing where our doctor testified, the judge sided with the mother. Because I was the main intake person, I had the broadest perspective on our existing and prospective patients. In 2019, a new group of people appeared on my radar. Desisters and detransitioners. Desisters choose not to go through with the transition. Detransitioners are transgender people who decide to return to their birth gender. The one colleague with whom I was able to share my concerns agreed with me that we should be tracking desistance and detransition. We thought the doctors would want to collect and understand this data in order to figure out what they had missed. We were wrong. One doctor wondered aloud why he would spend his time on someone who was no longer his patient. This is sickening, so disturbing, reprehensible, unprofessional. This is the medical field. Now, I'll take these oaths now, the white coat ceremony, to be more diverse and woke. And this is part of it. Congratulations, Wash. You nice job here. Shaking like a leaf. Uh, Fred reached out to Wash. You, I, I told him, I said, look, we're going to invite them on, see if they want to defend what happened over there. We did get a statement from them on the transgender center. Here's what it says. We are alarmed by the allegations reported in the article published by the Free Press describing practices and behaviors the author says she witnessed while employed at the university's Transgender Center. We are taking this matter very seriously and have already begun the process of looking into the situation to ascertain the facts. As always, our highest priority is the health and well-being of our patients. We are committed to providing compassionate, family-centered care. (laughs) Sorry. Really? Really? To all of our patients, and we hold our medical practitioners to the highest professional and ethical standards. Apparently, you don't, because this has been going on for a long time. And shame on you for not knowing what was going on in your clinic, because you should have known what's going on. And it takes a whistleblower to bring this to everyone's attention, even though some of us have been talking about this for kind of a long time, right? We, we've been trying to highlight this I've been doing it for at least two years on this radio station. Before that on KMOX, I've been called a transphobe. You know, you have the progressives out there. They don't want to hear anything about this. I wonder what the reaction, I genuinely do wonder what the reaction of Lisa Clancy and Kelly Dunaway on the St. Louis County Council who push all this nonsense, what they think about this. Because that would be, I really don't care what they think. I just would love to know the defense of the progressives on something like this because they'll try to defend it. Believe me, they will try to defend it, and we'll see how far that gets. Now, with WashU issuing a statement, this gives me a little bit more encouragement that the rest of the media is going to cover this as well. I'm pretty convinced the local paper only did it because Senator Hawley issued a statement, or they would have ignored it completely. And we'll see what the TV stations do with this tonight because they should be all over it. But there's not a lot of video to this. You know, TV, they like accidents and fires and stuff like that, so... 
They may just ignore it. All right. I have noticed um, really some great work. I love what the Show Me Institute has done over the years. We feature a lot of their guests. And because I'm on Twitter all the time, I've been seeing all these tweets that come at random times about public school expenditures. And Susan Pendergrass is with us. She's the Director of Education Policy at the Show Me Institute. Susan, how are you this afternoon? I'm great. How are you? You're kind of, uh, I'm good. You, you're kind of in charge of compiling some of this stuff. And just um, just for example, now, I, you know, I think people can kind of look at these numbers and maybe some of them are justified and maybe some of them aren't. The one I think I saw today was, did you know that the Rittner School District in St. Louis spent $1.7 million, actually probably close to $1.8, on cleaning services in the 2021 school year? What you're doing really kind of looking at the COVID years and what they spent money on, right? Well, right, but we are we just put up basically for every school district in the state every dollar that was spent on everything, and we built a website. There's you know 400 lines on each school district, both where the money comes from, down to bookstore sales, to uh, football ticket sales, taxes, delinquent taxes. Anyway, hundreds of lines on revenue and on expenditures, and um with our what we're putting on twitter we're just pulling out numbers like here's an interesting number you know we spent 42 million on buses what do you think Uh, parents spent 1.6 million paying tuition to other school districts things that um you know i think we we think maybe that we know how public education spending works but do we really does anyone really get like where all that money goes to we spend 15,000 per per student so we just put it up there so that folks can look at it and and make their own judgment, really. And what's the reaction been so far? I mean, have because I, I would assume that some some of the expenditures. I'm not saying that all of them are illegitimate, right? There may be good reasons oh, yeah. that the money uh, was spent this way, but this at least gives people a window into what the money is going to, right? That's right. So you know, in a kind of you know shoot the messenger type of way, folks thought that the spending the total expenditures per student were too high, and I simply took. Every school district in the state sends a report to the state by August 1st of every year called Annual Secretary to the Board Report. All we did was take 500 and some individual reports and put them into one place so that you can look at them. So these are really just the numbers you could also get from the state, from DESE. And we just put them up, you know, with the map. And actually, we tied them to performance data just so folks, you know, I remember when my kids were in public schools, I said once to um somebody on the school board, you know, I'd love to see the budget for the school district. I'm like, oh, no, you wouldn't. It's so long and complicated. And I was like, I actually would sort of like to see it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, of course. I'm not saying these numbers are illegitimate. But one thing that's on there is you can, you know, we have these pie graphs and you can see like what percentage went to instruction versus non-instruction versus support. And those move around when you look at one district versus another. And some districts spend more than half the money on instruction. And some districts spend less than half on instruction. So that's kind of up for folks to decide. You can also see, like, the salaries that went to teachers and certified teachers and the salaries that went to substitutes, if you think that's interesting. And you can see what was spent by the school board. So school board expenses is in there. And um, initially, I was going to take these big, long reports and pull out kind of what I thought was the most relevant, interesting information and just put that up. And at one point I was like, who am I to say, (laughs) you know, what's interesting to me may not be to you. So we put the whole thing. It's like the district checkbooks, basically. We just put them up there and folks can draw their own conclusions. So the reaction has been no way is the spending per student that high. And it is why I took the total expenditures for the year and divided it by the number of students. So I, you know, I think it's a great jumping off point if you want to talk to your own school board or your superintendent. 
I think it is too. And I'm I'm sitting here. I'm trying to navigate the site a little bit because, and I had some questions. But if you if you click on the site, you go to the uh, Show Me Institute website, and then your, your feature. So it's called your, Most School Rankings. Yeah, Most yeah. School Rankings. But your yeah. your feature. Well, even if you go to ShowMeInstitute.org, you're featured. You know, your piece there, and you say we built a website. So if you go to that, and then you can yeah. see, you can click on Rank by Grades, Accounting Manual, uh, a variety of things. So I'm on Rockwood right now because that's my school district, and it says, yeah. you know, explore the expenditures, and I can see. That now, when it says ranking, when it says two hundred two of five fifty one, what does that mean? The the expenditures and the amount that's being spent per student, because in Rockwood it's fifteen thousand four thirty nine seventy two per student. That's right. So I, the ranking is just the spending per student, and we just wanted to have a way on the map for there's a pin for every school district to sort of uh, you know a, a way to put the maps in some kind of I'm sorry the pins in some kind of perspective. So. We did it on spending per student so that you can say this one spends more, this one spends less easily. And But when you really dig into a district, that's where the meat of the information is. And you hit that explore button, and that's yes. where you can really – you know, look through the the real detail. So are there, because without going through all these, and I, I've been fascinated just looking at your tweets, and I've been meaning to get you on here for a little yeah. while because <clears> I <throat> see some of the expenditures that are being highlighted. Are you in a position to say, hey, we're, we're kind of wondering about this particular expenditure or that, or are you just kind of putting it out there at this point? We're putting it out there because I think people who think they know, and I'm sort of targeting, you know, legislators, they think they know how our school systems work and what's being spent and where. And I'm just saying, do you know, do you realize, do you know that in your, um, in your legislative district, you know, the schools are spending more than 20,000 per student, some of our districts are. And maybe people just don't know, you know, when you survey people in Missouri, typically most folks that think we spend about five or $6,000 per student, and it's triple that. It's like a very good private school tuition, right? So I I just want people, I just want transparency yeah. because that's our money. We send it to them and they spend it. It is our money. And I just want transparency. So um, you could really, if Rockwood's your district, you can, you can look at it and you can decide if you think that it's uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Right. And it's very thorough. And I, I got to highlight this from what you wrote about it, Susan. Susan Pendergrass is with me. She's the director of education policy at the Show Me Institute. You said, did we include spending on land, buildings, or other capital? Yes. Um, did we include principal and interest payments on debt? Yes, we did. Did we include district revenue from athletic event admissions, bookstore sales? We did. Did we include revenue that one school district pays to another school district? We did. Did we include revenue that parents pay as tuition to send their schools or their children, I'm sorry, to a school district outside the district? We did. So you are, this, this covers everything, it seems, right? Yeah, so that's some of the pushback we've gotten is like, it's not fair to include what was spent on land. It's like that money was spent on land in your school district and it was not spent on something else. And that's all I can say. Yes, on diesel fuel, that's in there, too. I mean, everything is in there, again, because I think it's hard to understand. So you imagine that there's $15,000 spent per student and you have a a classroom of of 20 kids. That's $300,000. Now, our teachers are probably going to get with benefits maybe 80 or 90 of that, that leaves $200,000 that it's just like, where is it? Where did it go? Well, and see, this is where I think it would be important because, you know, we're all in, I live in the real world and I have for uh, for many years. And when when real world things happen, people unfortunately get laid off. We're seeing this in the tech world. Companies Mm -hmm. have to crunch and they have to figure out a way to save money or stop the bleeding, right? In in Mm -hmm. government, that doesn't happen. And the money always gets bigger and bigger. So from this standpoint, we've, we've seen some, Mitch Daniels comes to mind, 
at mm-hmm. um, in, in Indiana. He's a former governor there, and he has been the uh, president of Purdue. And he really did some very unique, creative things to save money um, at that university that has been seen as a model for other people across the country. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd love to dig down here. I don't, you know, maybe there are cuts that take place because, you know, sometimes there are realities. But I'd like to know exactly if those really happen, and this gives you a tool to do it. You know, and I brought this up at the beginning, Susan, just because when you mentioned the Rittner School District, one of the tweets today about 1.7 on cleaning services, 2020, 2021, I think if you dig into those numbers in particular, here's one of the biggest scams from the pandemic. Cleaning companies yep. coming in and, and, you know, disinfecting surfaces. It was a scam from the very beginning. And, and for the most part, people didn't stop it. I mean, they kept they kept yeah. doing the cleanings. And I, we had these things installed at this building on the handles that were supposedly supposed to dis. <laughs> you know, if you press something, I'm pretty sure it was all a scam. So God bless the companies out there that made money, especially government money. But there are a lot of things that they're wasting money on, and this is money that should go to the students. And I think that's why this is important. So nice work here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if everyone realizes, but Missouri's total K-12 enrollment's declining, and it's going to decline more. We're down, we used to be like 950,000, we're down to 850, we're supposed to be down around 750 by 2030. And, you know, with all the federal stimulus money that came in during COVID, which was billions came in for education in Missouri, that money's going to get cut off. And what I'm hearing, you know, nationally from superintendents is they're looking at a fiscal cliff because the federal money's going to run out right and there's going to be bloodletting and there's going to be they're going to have to a lot of districts use their stimulus money to hire people they have to keep paying them when that stimulus money is gone so we should be pulling back yeah, right now we absolutely should not be nice work again give the website one more time Thanks susan so uh, most school rankings.org susan pendergrass i appreciate it More at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.